it's JD. I'm here with AJ Ermitz tonight and Vicky, a bit under the weather. She won't be joining us, but I'll bet she's listening in. She has a degree in electrical engineering, married, has six kids, and a backyard full of grief. But that's not what led her to Mead in a bit. We'll meet Jennifer Cost, owner of the soon-to-be-open legendary Mead. Update on the Great Pumpkin Project. What's your next batch? And ask Oscar. He talks about Pyman's tonight. So grab your glass of Mead and your phone. Got Mead Live starts in less than 30 seconds. And 30 seconds is up, and here we are. <laughs> just you and me tonight. It's just you and me tonight. Uh, Vicky just uh, a bit under the weather here tonight, so uh, uh, it's just uh, you and I. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, while the cat's away, <laughs> you, spo- you suppose the mice will play? I don't know. It depends on how much of this mead we drink. That's true. And I got an entire bottle, a full bottle this time, sitting on my desk. So, um, <laughs> well, so do I. But it's a three seventy five mil. So there, there you go. Hey, that works. Uh, a couple of shout outs we want to get out of the way right off the bat. Uh, I got to throw a shout out to Valley Beverage over here by me, Sherman Oaks, 14901 Ventura Boulevard here in, Sher- in Sherman Oaks. They happen to be my mother load of mead supplier and uh, went over there to do some mead shopping. So I had a little bit of something to drink tonight. And they have restocked their shelves one more time. And I'll tell you, I mean, it just got a huge selection of wines, craft beers, meads, usual and the unusual. And if you're in the area, you got to check them out. Now, this is this next shout out. Uh, AJ is a very special shout out. <laughs> this one goes out to Man Yi, who missed roll call last week, but promised to show up tonight. Hamish says he's on Skype already, so. Man Yi, you've got two minutes to call the show at 818-921-4680 and answer your roll call for tonight. so what are we drinking tonight, AJ? I've got a Blackberry Mead from Rossignol Estate Winery in PEI. Um, and that was sent to me by Scott, who's Colonel Crush on the forum. Oh. So shout out to Scott. Thank you so much for this. It smells fantastic and can't wait to have a sip. Awesome. I'm drinking, uh, you know, like I said, I went shopping for some mead so I would have something to partake tonight and I brought back several bottles one of which is Hidden Legends Pure Honey Mead now I gotta tell you this this is what I have been looking for it is I don't know that I'd even call it semi-sweet it, it's semi-dry semi-sweet just off dry yeah and uh, it uh, it has an a wonderful honey aroma to it when you when you sniff mm-hmm. it when you smell it and it the taste is just oh so good and you get that i can even taste the honey i mean it's not a sweet taste uh but i can taste the honey I, that to me is just awesome and uh that is what i have been uh looking for uh in a mead so 
Okay. I just had my first sip. This stuff is amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like blackberries just exploded in my mouth. Oh, wow. I got to get some. Mm. (laughs) We do have a caller on the line, though. And if this is who I think it is, Man Yi, are you present? It is. It's Manny. How you doing? Manny. It's just Manny. The, the E is actually the big first letter of my last name. <laughs> Manny E. Manny E. Right, right. <laughs> hey, Manny, nice to talk to you face-to-face, or voice-to-voice anyway. Yeah, finally. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining in tonight. Uh, just wanted to make, you know, of course, Hamish started this whole thing. You know that, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he's Hamish listening. Is a troublemaker. In. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know he's listening in. Uh, I, I, I think Hamish is at work, and uh, I think he has to like listen quietly at his desk or something. I don't know, but we might be able to bring him in here uh, in just a little exactly. while. He's actually driving right now. I just got the phone with him. Okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> Well, Manny, thanks for uh, checking in with us. I know you're here. We'll mark you present uh, on the roll call. And uh, be sure to uh, stick with us. Uh, we got a heck of a show here tonight. And uh, possibly look forward to uh, having you call back here in just uh, a little while. Absolutely. Can't wait to hear the whole thing today. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. All right. Uh, finally making roll call here tonight on the uh, Godmead <laughs> Live. <laughs> well, welcome to Godmead Live here on a Tuesday night. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always like to start off the show with all the uh, business stuff we like to take care of. Uh, become a supporting member. I keep harping on that every week. And, uh, you know, take it from me. I mean, there's there's so much more to the Godmead.com forum uh, than what you see without the uh, patron membership. So get that 25 bucks. I mean, it's an annual thing, uh, you know, uh, and gain that access to, to much more information on the gotmead.com forum. Facebook, uh, as always, go to Gotmead. Simple. Uh, Twitter now. I'm sorry, but I don't do Twitter and AJ. I don't think AJ does Twitter. I, no, I, I, I don't. I don't have to. Tw- I'm sorry. Twitter's broken for today. Please yeah. try next week. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. <laughs> See the sign? Twitter's out of order. Uh, so ch- check back next week. Ask sorry. Oscar. Nobody's answering the Twitter feed today. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Any yeah, apologies. Just, just leave a message. <laughs> so. <laughs> But ask Oscar, uh, you know, if you've got a question about your mead, uh, the process, ingredients, uh, whatever, uh, ask Oscar. And you uh, go ahead and go to uh, Gotmead. And Vicky's not here, so i got to do this all by myself. Go to gotmead.com, click on the, hover the mouse over the radio link there. And I believe you'll see the Ask Oscar uh, link. You want to click on that. And then when you get there, make sure that you answer all of the questions. Even if it's just to say that you don't have that information, because that's stuff that Oscar will need to know. And be verbose. You know how I post. Be verbose. Talk a lot. Talk endlessly about it. The more information we have, the less we have to ask you about it. And we, Oscar does not have time to chase you down and ask for additional information on your problems. So get it all in the first thing, uh, you know, get it, get it all in at the beginning and then we don't have to go chase you. And then we actually might get your, your question answered. Yeah. 
And then uh, the call-in number, as always, 818-921-4680, 818-921-4680. There is no excuse. It should be on your speed dial. Uh, show links. Uh, listen on the gotme.com website. If you're live and mobile, make sure you download the app from tunein.com, TuneIn Radio. Take us with you on a Tuesday night. Uh, you know, if you're shopping uh, in Walmart and uh, walking up down the aisles uh, tonight, you can be listening to God Mead Live. Uh, again, uh, both uh, iOS, iOS, well, well, I don't know why I just don't say Apple and Android devices. <laughs> You can can download the app from the uh, gotme.com website uh, and uh, put it on your smart device. So uh, with that, um, I think we need to take a break. And when we come back, Jennifer Cost. Stick around. We'll be back. for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at beenectar.com. That's beenectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. And welcome back. We are back live here at Godmead Live, and uh, we uh, our guest tonight, AJ, has a degree in electrical engineering. She's married, homeschools six kids, does the financials for her subdivision road commission. 
She's the church uh, treasurer, writes book reviews, makes wines, has started a natural body products company, and is now opening a new meadery. Please welcome Jennifer Cost to the show. Hi. Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy, huh? Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have enough time to make mead, too. <laughs> well, maybe that's why I make mead. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get some time from everything else? Oh, well, that and, you know, it just keeps me sane. It gives me a little something that's me. I don't know. I joke with everyone that I just like to keep busy. You you started out with a a background in electrical engineering. Was that a career path? Yeah. Yeah, I I have my uh, bachelor's in electrical engineering, and then um, I worked for uh, five years in underground mining. Actually, yeah, and then uh, we, uh, my husband Troy, he's here too. Uh, we moved back to the Midwest and um, I worked in uh, ag products. I actually switched over from engineering and I worked in IT for a while. And then uh, at that point, we had four kids in four years, and I just decided something had to give. So I, uh, I quit work, and then and then I started homeschooling. So that wasn't really. That didn't give me any extra time. Definitely not conducive to going back to work in any case. I know. I, I took all the time that I had more free time when I worked full time. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I I don't know if you caught the beginning of the show, but uh, Vicky is unable to join us tonight. She's a bit under the weather, Jennifer, but she does send her best. Um, you know, I mean... Yeah, it's crazy here, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, when you uh, you talked about um, uh, you have uh, grapes on your property, so uh, I mean, it sounds like you started making wine before you discovered uh, mead. What kind of wine? Uh, what kind of grapes do you have on your property? You know, there even it's not like we have a big vineyard set up. It's it. It's funny how everything just kind of falls into place. We have a pergola, and I I just wanted some climbing um, landscaping, and I I didn't want potato vines, so I thought, hey, how about grapes? And then I think they took off because I don't care about them. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I could be so lucky. (laughs) I have host plants like that, too. I totally understand. Right, because because if if I, you know, planted them with the intent of harvesting, you know, I wouldn't get anything. Um, (laughs) And guess what type we have? White grapes, uh, red grapes, and then what is the food? We just have all the colors. And, you know, we we play with mixing them, and it's really just a fun hobby, something to do with it. Uh, last year, I gave my best friend 50 pounds of grapes that she made into jelly because at that point, I was tired of looking at grapes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, this year was um, really crazy. Our, our oldest two kids started college, and, and so our schedules were just crazy this fall, and I just forgot about it. And if you, if you don't get the grapes in my area on the right weekend, um, we lost them all. And um, that's okay because that's not my livelihood. Um, yeah. So we lost them all to the coons and, and the birds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
so the birds are well fed in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, yeah. And the raccoons uh, are all drunk. <laughs> yeah. We have we have way way too many raccoons, but. Well, how did so you we, start? Uh, you, you started. Uh, I mean, obviously, at some point, you you started harvesting them and making them into wine. Uh, how did you? How did you, you get that many grapes? <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, what? no, it was. Go ahead. We started making we started making the wine and everything, and um, I know this sounds funny, but I, I know I'm not the only person. I get really bad headaches when I drink wine. So we started playing with, you know, um, what, what are the chemicals in the whole winemaking process starting, you know, because I do have some drug allergies. So we thought, well, maybe there's something in there that's triggering my allergies. And um, so he played with it. And of course, you know, Troy can drink to his heart's content and he's fine. <laughs> uh, but then I was looking, we have a, a daughter that has eczema, so that's how I got into the um, body products. Okay. And the beeswax and, and the oils and all that kind of stuff, and I started looking up essential oils, and you know, that rabbit trails you down into honey, and then I started looking at some properties of honey, and then lo and behold, you know, I really don't, it just popped up on, you know how Google is, me <laughs> came yeah. off. And I started reading about that, and and he became obsessed about it. I would say because every time I came home, he had a thousand facts about mead for probably the month following. Yeah. With well, and I, I did have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. So we have like sitting around our house about thirty-five gallons of of. 21 different kinds, just playing with flavors and everything. And I keep, hey, I'm a great wife because I keep telling Troy, you need to drink faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the same problem in our house. I have a brewing problem and neither of us has a drinking problem. <laughs> it kind of puts you in a, a crunch there. So um, <laughs> and I, I give, you know, the neighbors, you know, it's, you know, but you can only drink so many bottles so fast. Yeah, was uh, was Google part of the homeschooling uh, protocol? No, I was probably taking a break from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do have to have some adult time at some point. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's kind of better because uh, we have older kids now, and so I can actually have a conversation with somebody during the day. Yeah. How uh, uh, you mentioned that you uh, you know doing the research for the uh, these essential oils uh, led you into mead. Obviously, it must have been the honey properties. That uh, what did you find in the honey? How is that? Uh, I mean, I know everybody says that you know honey is healthy, but how, how did that help you in your own research uh, with your essential oils? Uh? Well. Um you know, I just started, I think it's kind of just that scientific mind that I started thinking through. We've used uh, local honey for years um, once the kids are old enough, you know, um, on toast or, or different things or just to eat it or put it into tea for our allergies and everything. And the honey itself is, I started just 
I think this is part of the homeschool thing. I just started digging into honey itself. What is it about honey? And, um, the, you know, it's antiviral, antibacterial. It's so healthy. And I just started looking into that. Um, I do I do understand that a, a lot of the commercial people, um, when they make their means, that they go ahead and add um, the sulfites and other things to stabilize it, and that's not an issue. For, for my home need, I, because I can let it sit however long I want, you know, I don't add anything to it. Yeah. Have you found a difference with the headaches in that? Yeah, actually, um, yeah, that's kind of dangerous because, you know, that mead goes down pretty smooth. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, we were at a birthday party for our neighbor, and, and I felt like such a redneck because here I am carrying my gallon jug to this guy's house, and we're just sitting over there drinking out of our red Solo cup. And uh, before I realized, yeah, we had pretty much drank, I think, like half a gallon or something. And I didn't get a headache, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel bad the next day because, you know, there's no more party days when you have six kids. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> wow. Well, that, uh, you know, what was your encounter with, uh, you know, mead recipes when you discovered? Did you have, uh, uh, was there something that, um, just, just kind of struck your fancy or, or something that you were interested in in drinking or how did you put all this together and then, and then start making meat at home? Um, that's a really good question. Yeah. I am, as, as a cooker in the kitchen, um, a lot of times I don't use recipes. That's just how I was raised. And so it's kind of natural for me to you know, there's a base product that that you build off of, the honey and the water and the yeast. And then you just kind of start throwing things in. Um, I've had to uh, specifically start focusing on making some things that maybe are not necessarily m my favorite flavors, which other people really, really like. You know, like, I don't like cranberries. Well, it's cranberry season here in Iowa, and I'm going to go ahead and start a big batch of cranberry and everything. I probably won't drink the cranberry, but a lot of people like it. Um, so that's hard for me is making something I don't like, but um, it won't go to waste. Yeah. So just uh, did, you, did you have a chance to try a commercial mead before you started making your own meads? I actually didn't. I didn't, and that was kind of... Well, we actually had a problem trying to find it initially. Hmm. Yeah, there's only one that we can find here in uh, on the Iowa side in stores, um, and I, we didn't find it until after we had started making it. Um, there, We thought for the longest time we were going to be the first meter to open up in Iowa, and um, Michelle and her husband, sorry if you're listening, I can't remember your husband's name, uh, they're opening over in Marshalltown, Iowa, and I've connected with Michelle on Facebook, and um, super nice people, I look forward to meeting them in person sometimes um but there's just we're kind of like in this if you go look at the national map of, of where the meteries are um there's 
different, uh, you know, there's definitely little clusters and such. Well, there's, there's a huge hole right in the Midwest. <laughs> and there's one here, there's one there, but, you know, the, the Midwest is pretty big. For me to drive somewhere, you're looking at, you know, three and a half hours to Chicago, four and a half hours to Nebraska, you know, probably six hours, I think, to Michigan. Yeah. So it's yeah. just really, uh, I am on the AMMA for Facebook, and, and it's really nice to see a, a lot of the big commercial ones are, you know, they have so much, um, I mean, states that they ship to now that, that gives everyone in general an availability to these products that they didn't have before just because of your location in the United States. Yeah. Well, like you, I, you know, I started, I actually started making mead long before I ever had a taste of it also. Of course, as AJ knows, I fueled a lot of local lawnmowers with, <laughs> with my, until I, you know, until I learned. Uh, That's because he's impatient. He just needed to age it more. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you, you know, and, uh, you know, while we're on the subject of uh, talking mead here, um, how do you, how do you, and this is something that, uh, uh, that I just, I don't know, a light bulb went off tonight, but as I was thinking about this interview, how do you market uh, your product, your mead to somebody who has never had it before? Uh, you know, how do you market something like that? Um, it's probably a question, AJ. I should have been asking some of the professional mead makers that we've had on in the past. Um, yeah, what, they're doing it a lot more than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, your, your thought, I mean, you're, you're opening a meadery, uh, legendary meads. Um, uh, you know, so what's, uh, what kind of a thought process have you got going as far as marketing? How do you, how do you tell people, uh, you know about your product who have, most likely have like I did never heard of it before stumbled upon right. it never tasted it so how do you how do you market to those kind of individuals that's been um, challenging talking in reference to like opening a meadery um, you know where we're at in general a lot of people don't know what mead is at all um, they're like, what? And, and some of them will go ahead and Google it and, and find whatever information is there. Um, for example, I've talked with our economic development committee in my town. It's a small town, um, but we're trying to grow. Um, and uh, when I had a meeting with them, you know, they were really upfront. They didn't know what it was. And so... For them and specifically, you know, I had a slideshow and then we walked through some of the information and all that. Um, but it is challenging because there's no frame of reference for me because it's fallen so out of our Western culture um, that's just now starting to be reintroduced through some media angles, you know, the Harry Potters, the Game of Thrones, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, that's this generation's first uh, references uh, to meet again. So, you know, I know there's a lot of purists that get really upset um, when you talk about it, but, but you just have to compare it to some of the similarities and properties of wine to give, to give people a base of reference so it's not just this big unknown fear. Yeah. 
and because it, honestly, if you would have said something to me, me to me before I really knew what it was, I would think maybe you know hoppy or sludgy or I wouldn't be able to give it the right um, truth of definition because I didn't have a frame of reference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, 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 a lot of the people say that they try to frame it with whatever the person is used to, whether you frame it in a beer reference or you frame it in a wine reference and having experience doing both wine and beer is very helpful for that. Right. And, you know, we've we've made beer, but, you know, totally not. I've made a lot more meat than I ever made beer. Um, but, hey, we enjoy microbrews and all that. And um, some of my bouches, it's been easier to reference it to a beer or, you know, some of that kind of stuff. I know our neighbor initially, whenever we talked about it with her, asked her if she liked white wine. And she said yes. And I don't remember if his sweeter wines or not that she liked. And we use that as a reference, a smooth white wine. Yeah. And it was the base uh, for that one flavor. Yeah, so then, flavor. So then she was like, oh, okay, I'll sip it. And then she <laughs> loved it. After that, every time she sees this, she wants some meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the local dealer. The <laughs> pusher. <laughs> when uh, you know, and I, I think another common mistake too. Uh, and and tell me if you've run across this. You know, you you mentioned mead to people; they don't know what it is. You tell them, well, it's it's wine made with honey, or a honey wine. And of course, their their first immediate uh, thought is, well, you know, gee, it must taste like honey then. So they're expecting this, or it must sweet- be sticky sweet. Yeah, they're yeah. expecting this honey, honey sweet drink, but they're—I mean—they're quite surprised when they find out it really isn't, right? Right, right, and, and that's again—that's just a cultural reference. You know, there are there are places you go um, in other parts of the world that that they still culturally understand what a meat is going to taste like because it hasn't been totally forgotten, um, and I think that's the importance of. Um, all the meteries and all all the hobbyists, you know, getting the word out and working together just as an education. And again, this is where the homeschool of me comes in, the teacher part. You know, I want to educate people. I want people to realize a piece of culture and history that has um, been forgotten that was significant. Yeah. Yeah. Troy, what was... Uh what was your first reaction when you came home from work and discovered this bubbling jug of something sitting on the kitchen counter with an airlock on top? Was it a surprise or did you? Uh, yeah, but I was excited. I mean, I, after a month or two of her talking about mead and talking about all these different meads from different parts of the world and all the different flavors, and then uh, she just went out and bought some honey from a organic farm and started making mead. I was very excited. I was a little bit impatient. I didn't want to wait for it to age. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you have to remember, you know, I, I apparently with six kids, I do everything to excess. Yeah. So it's not like he came home to one carboy. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Unfortunately, he does have a long drive for work, so that gives me 11 hours a day. And, um, yeah, so for him, there are days that he would leave and he would come home and, hey, I need you to move these because I can't start dinner. <laughs> and and the, the counter would be lined up. I have since learned that you know the value of maybe only making a gallon batch. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I okay. think the first time we did it, I think it was four, four carboys worth. Oh heavens! <laughs> four times. Yeah, but I'm, I'm again, you know, I'm that baker and and you know cook that I don't use a recipe so. I had a lot of faith in the people that went before me. Of course, you know, I, I have some of the books and you Google the recipes and all that stuff. And so I knew the base to start with to be safe for what I knew I wanted the outcome to kind of be. And, and then I played with flavors, you know. The guys that I've contacted, um, usually on Facebook, they're really, really receptive, and, and they're just so encouraging, and right away they'll get back, hey, I have a question, and, um, you know, I've thrown some things in the general forum on Facebook. I've, I've personal messaged people, and everybody's just really supportive of, hey, how can I help you, you know, blah, 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 and, and they'll get you the information. I do things a little bit differently now because, you know, some information I've um, been able to collect. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're talking to Troy and Jennifer Cost here tonight from Legendary Meads, and uh, we do have a caller on the line forty seven eighty. You need to turn down the uh, show in the background; it is feeding back. But uh, hey, welcome to the show. What's your name and uh, what's your question? Hello, hello. I think we lost. Uh, did we lose everybody? I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay. okay. Well, uh, we had a caller uh, call in. Uh, go ahead and give us a call back. Uh, again, you're talking to Troy and Jennifer Cost from Legendary Meads. Uh, and uh, if you got a question for him, hey, you got the number 918-921-4680. And whoever was that uh, called, uh, please, and any, any anybody who calls, please make sure that you uh, turn the show down in the background so that it doesn't feed back. Otherwise, you'll be listening to it twice. Um, but... Uh, so okay let's talk uh, let's talk about legendary meats here uh, Jennifer what uh, what started the uh, the thought on opening up a meadery um well I think it all went back to you know Troy and I back in the beginning uh, we actually went to college together and then for 11 years two different companies we actually worked together preferably not in the same room as each other <laughs> we actually at one point we had to ask our bosses to move us further apart because we could hear each other on, you know <laughs> across the room yeah. and it's just how you tune into a voice and um you know, we enjoyed working with each other. Now, we've really enjoyed the past 10 years raising our kids and everything, but I miss I miss that connection of, of doing something together. And, um, you know, 
So that's kind of, we started looking at what is something that we love? Because honestly, I, I don't want to go back into engineering, you know, right now. Um, <laughs> we do still have little ones, and, and I'm just not ready for that. So we started looking at things about what do we love and, and what could we see ourselves doing together. And, you know, I have seen um, a lot of the new meteries coming up that are husband and wives, and it's really cool. Yeah. We've got a caller on the line, 5858. Uh, what's your name? Uh, where are you? And uh, what's your question? Uh, I'm calling from Nebraska, Bellevue, Nebraska, actually Omaha. And Iowa is my hometown. And this is uh, Brian from Moonstruck Meadery calling. And I just want to tell you that you are on the greatest adventure of your life. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the hey, show. Guys. Welcome to the show, Brian. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you that um, you, you're, you, you, have, uh, you have things that are going to happen uh, as a business person. I encourage you to just keep on going, and, uh, you know, everything is going to come together for you. I look forward to, to seeing you guys out there and, uh, you know, get that web presence going. And if you have any questions, you know, please, by all means, uh Give me a shout. I've had many other meteries come in and take a look at things and, uh, you know, move move up in the world and open up meteries themselves. So I, I just want to encourage you just to keep going and, uh, you know, people are going to come to you. You know, they, they say it in Iowa, if you build it, they will come, and it's so true. Someone had to bring up the Children's Dreams reference. <laughs> you know, we want to let you know we will take you up on that because we were just discussing two days ago. Coming out to see you. Coming out to see you and see and try your products. Perfect. Wow, Brian. Well, I look yeah. forward to I look forward to samples. So, <laughs> all right. And this uh, the the these the meteries these professional meteries is quite the community. Uh, aren't they? Because they, they seem to, everybody seems to come together and want to help one another out, get their metery started. Nobody uh, seems to view everybody else's competition more like everybody's pulling in the same direction. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah you, know, you know what? What, what you really want to do is in your hometown, that's where you want to build first before you uh, branch out. You know, you, were, you really want to build up, um, you know, giving back to your community, um, showing them that you care. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to take you all the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Awesome. Very good. Uh, Brian, thanks for the call. Um, uh, you know, this is a um, uh, this is quite the community, I and mean, I've noticed this since uh, since I've been uh, involved in, in making me just you know almost a year now, and uh, I, you know the these meteries seem to come together for one another, uh, AJ, in, in, mm -hmm. a, in a in an effort that I've never seen before. I mean, you know, like you say, usually it's it's uh, you know they view each other as a competitive in a competitive nature, but. Uh, you know, and I can reference Michael Fairbrother um, posting you know, his recipe on Gottmead. Yeah, yeah, that was, that yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and then Brian calls tonight, uh, offers his help. Uh, you know, obviously an experienced, uh, you know, professional metery. Uh, so, you know, Jennifer and Troy, are you, are you finding lots of this kind of help out there? Yes, we are. Yeah. 
obviously, you know, we don't have anyone even with it, you know, very local and all that. But, um, you know, with, with phone calls and Internet the way it is, it, it, I'm starting to feel my age because it's so much easier now than it used to be. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I do have... Um, uh, Peter in New York, um, he's at Helderberg Needworks. We connected over a forum, oh, months ago. And he kind of has been my mentor and, you know, okay, have you thought through this? And he's looked through some business plans and here's your next steps. Here's what he recommends. Um, so it's been hard because um, as everyone who has looked into this industry, because it is so still foreign, um, there's still interpretation, and, and you find people, uh, not just people who want to drink the drink, but people in the the legislation side, you know, they're not really sure what you are, what kind of animal you are. Um, so trying to work through all of that, and um, that's where the community coming together, I think, has helped so much because, um, you know, there are things, for example, I said Michelle in um, BuzzFeed Eatery here in Iowa that's starting up, um, you know, she's kind of she's done that hard part where she's worked through with the state and it, of course it's a different county but you know she's worked through the state so so she's given me information of hey this is what I had to do and and such forth and um it's just been a com camaraderie that uh, I don't know of any other industry that I've seen that kind of level of um, um just togetherness and and just helping people out yeah like somebody said earlier, it's about working together to educate the public and the government on what meat is and the fact that it's out there. And right, and you know, honestly, if if the um, if the uh, people can support over eighty eight hundred wineries and they're still somewhat successful, there's there's less than two hundred meteries. There's room to grow and. And you're never going to be competition with each other for quite a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and everybody's got such a range of different products and different takes on everything. Absolutely. And, you know, even some the fruit and honey that I use here in the Midwest, you used um, Michael Fairbrother, for example. You know, he gave his recipe. That was great. But he can make that recipe, and I can make that same recipe. And because of the local variance in flavors, they're not going to taste exactly the same. That's one of the beauties of meat. Yeah, exactly. so, you know, East Coast um, Mellow Mel, and you get the same Mellow Mel from West Coast or, or Midwest, it, it's going to taste a little bit different. It's a regional thing. Yeah. Because of the honey, yeah. Well, the honey and, and even the fruit. Yeah. Where are you in the process uh, as far as opening your metery, guys? No, I'm I'm all the way at the beginning. We just got through building a uh, a building to house it, and I am in the process of uh, getting the wiring installed. It's and so we're 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 just now to the point where we can start the paperwork and things of that nature. And we're doing it really slow because. Um, you know, as individuals, we're not risk adverse, but things are different because we have six children at home. Yeah. Um, right. So we are low risk. 
So we, um, it's going to go really slow for us because um, we're self-financing. Um, at least here in the beginning. And I know there are people who say, go big or go home. Well, that's great, but... They don't have six kids. And there are people that can do that. And there are going to be other types of personalities of people that could have had 12 kids and they could have gone big and and made it work. Um, But where we are and, and we're just... The way, the way that our family runs is that, you know, uh, we're kind of old school. We're, so we're self-financing up until a point. We do realize at some point we might have to look at um, some bank financing. When we, but that would be more of when we get to the point that we want a G-Stream room and, and, and then hopefully, you know, bigger production. Yeah. Right. But we're at the beginning, and, and, you know, we've had some great information. We've had made a lot of contacts. So what's really nice is that when you build those relationships with people who have already paved the way in the industry, um, you tend to make fewer mistakes, and you make, you can make references to to other people or, or other applications or, or other things that have happened before you. And so then the process goes smoother for each person down the line. Yeah. I guess ultimately that's what everybody's hoping for is it just gets easier and easier. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it, a lot of people complain about it, but these are people that are just going to work nine to five like everybody else. And not everybody can know everything. And there's a ton of people that work in on the government side. There's more of those people than there are on our side. So it's just a matter of being patient and working together and educating. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, being small either. Uh, I mean, I, I understand the go big or go home concept, but on the other hand, I think there's a lot to be said for the small business person who views things you know in a smaller dimension and I think uh, I really honestly think that more attention to detail comes out of uh, out of smallness as well so uh, you know I think there's something to be said for for being small and it's um I, I like the size that we are now because I I have um, latitude to play with different flavors. And like I said, you know, I'm branching out into flavors that I don't like. So I have to have trust in the people that taste those and tell me whether they like them or not. Um, but things, you know, I, I do my own artwork. So I do my own labels, you know. Um, because I'm, I'll start off small. I can do more of that. I have the time, you know. There's no burning um, issue that that I have to get at X number thousand of gallons in two years. Yeah. What What are your production plans? Well, um, the first year. Well, you know, it's really we can. What did we say? The area that we have for production, I think if we went full out, is right at like 2,000 gallons. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's it. it. For a while, and I mean, I still have I still have my youngest in diapers. <laughs> so until I get to a point where 
I feel like I want to be out 100% in the business world again. I'm okay with being 2,000 gallons. Jeez, AJ, and I'm looking at my two five-gallon fermenters and my three three-gallon. <laughs> uh, I'm really glad for you that you can actually have the option to go small because in Ontario, if you want to have a metery, you have to be running over 100 hives, which is really go big or go home. Wow. Yeah. We but have, then again... Okay, it's really interesting. When you bring up me, the first thing that usually people ask me is, oh, do you raise your own bees? Mm-hmm. And I look at them and I said, do you grow your own food? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be great, but there is, there. I have learned to set limits on myself and I have chosen to not learn beekeeping. Yeah. You can't do everything. Yeah, I can't do everything. You know, and I'm not going to blow my own glass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, uh, I just had something interrupt me. That doesn't occur very often. <laughs> Where, what, uh, let's talk about honey for a minute. Uh, you know, AJ, we talked to a beekeeper here, was it last week? Yeah, I uh, think so. And a, a one hive, I think he... Um, 50 to 100 uh, pounds per year once you get them going is, I think, what he was saying. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Jennifer, it may not even be conducive to even try to get into beekeeping to support a metery. So, obviously, you're going to have to go to... Uh, are there local apiaries that uh, you've been in contact with? Or do you have any favorite honeys uh, that you're working with? I do. I, I, um, I ended up making a relationship with a, a farmer who has an organic farm, and um, he's older, and him and his buddy, his neighbor, they actually have just a few hives of bees, and, and I love his honey. I really do. For personal use, I use his honey, and um, he has an organic farm, um, so the honey is, you know, light during the summer, and then he does put out... Um, barley and stuff and so it gets darker in the spring when he pulls all the honey and everything so he's honestly my go-to guy right now but he can only be a go-to guy up to x amount of gallons of honey per year he's willing to expand his operation but even with just you know making 2,000 gallons of mead in a year I will have to um go find other sources and you know the beekeepers they had a great network um, again, you know, it's build a relationship and then those relationships expand. Um, Iowa got hit really hard last year with um, the bees. Uh, typical loss, I think, is anywhere in the range of 20 to 30 percent. Iowa ended up losing 60 percent of its hives. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, we had, um, it was a very very cold winter we I counted I put them on the calendar we had five days where we hit negative 40 Fahrenheit and that was actual that's temperature no that was winter yeah so um, that's excessively cold for us and um, the bees did not survive so it was uh, you know because I, I, I uh, on our last show we had we had an individual who's starting a metery 
who was also a beekeeper. And we talked very, very briefly about the colony collapse and, you know, how how important it is. I mean, it's still on a lot of people's mind, uh, you know, since the, the, the first big colony collapse here several years back. But so it, it was weather that uh, affected the bees uh, in Iowa then and, and not a colony collapse of, say, pesticides. Yeah, last, last, year, last year was weather. They, they, it was just too cold. Um, they, you know, they tried to protect them with the, the covers and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it was very excessively cold, wind chills and such. Wow. We're talking to Troy and Jennifer Cost of, uh, in Iowa from Legendary Meads here tonight. Uh, real quickly before we end this segment, uh, give them a call. You got the number, 818-921-4680. Uh, if you have a question for Troy and Jennifer. Troy, what, uh, what do you think about all this uh, meadery business and uh, uh, mead in general and uh, what do you expect to be here and with the uh, with the meadery in say five years? The 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 mead industry and the, the idea I'm I like a lot. I'm actually surprised that I had never encountered it before, even in my world travels and stuff. And in five years, I'm hoping we will have a tasting room and uh, be working together. Be working together, yes. Yeah. Perhaps not working for the company by that point. Being your own boss, a lot to be said yeah. for that, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. You know, of course, that's the plan, but, you know, with six kids, I've learned to be flexible. (laughs) I'm actually started out a pretty OCD person, and the joke is is that I kept having kids until I got over my OCD. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, What did the kids think about all this? You know, they're used to my flighty and kind of crazy ways. I I tease Troy all the time, you know. If ever there was someone that should have been a gypsy, it's me. Um, (laughs) I love love travel. Um, I love meeting new cultures, meet new people. Um, I hate being in the same spot every, you know, every year, year to year, you're in the same spot. So I look for ways to do things different. And, um, so the kids are kind of used to my crazy ideas. And so I think they finally figured out that we're kind of serious about this one. Yeah. And they're all for it. They're like, hey, uh, are we are we going to have jobs? I'm like, well, when you're 21. <laughs> are they interested in the, in the chemistry and everything? Yeah. They, they're very interested in the chemistry. Whenever we're making wine... Uh, a couple of the children were instrumental in helping me uh, hey, weigh out the chemicals and that's math. We kind of used it as a, a lesson to them. Well, it's great for homeschooling. Yeah, yeah. 
And we do a lot of things like that that we'll take out of culture or something that's normal every day, and we do it at home, and, and we take the time, we stop, and we explain it, and we have the kids participate, and, you know, what does this mean, and and it just expands their knowledge as well as it gives us um, a chance to work on our teaching skills as well. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, what an awesome way to learn. You know, uh, well, you know, very cool. And I, you know, I, I, I want to get you guys back on the show. Unfortunately, we need to wrap this segment. Uh, but I, you know, I want to talk to Vicki, see if we can't get you guys back on and say, uh, six, seven months from now, see where you're at, uh, what kind of uh, progress uh, you've made on the metery and, uh, just check in with you. But, uh, for sure, listen to the show, gotmead.com, gotmead live. Uh, love having you on tonight, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for for sharing. And I know uh, I know Vicky uh, sends all her best too. Uh, like I said, she's a little bit under the weather tonight; couldn't join us. But uh, and she may or may not be listening in. Uh, I haven't quite figured. I thought the text that I got was uh, actually might have been her, but. Uh, uh, I'm sure she'll catch the show on the on the rewind. But uh, again, thanks again, Troy and Jennifer Cost from Iowa, legend, legendary Mead. So uh, with that, uh, we're gonna step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, hey, it's that great pumpkin thing that JD's got going, and a whole lot more. Don't go away. We'll be back. Hey, this is JD Webb for Got Mead Live. You know, winemaking was a way of life for Sergio Mattello while growing up. As an adult, his winemaking led to brewing beer and ultimately his discovery and passion for mead. Today at Melovino, his mead-making skills has earned him countless awards. His signature meads include Pepino, a light and refreshing cucumber, orange, and lemon session mead, and Sinfonia, called the Scotch of Meads, is made with three honey varietals and a blend of three different oaks. Visit them in Vauxhall, New Jersey at 2933 Vauxhall Road, located in the rear of the Millburn Mall. And be sure and visit them online at melovino.com. Shipping to 22 states, try some Melovino mead yourself and book a tour and tasting. Melovino, a truly unique and exquisite craft mead experience. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rude, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. Ram's Mead crafts some of the most coveted meads available in the United States today. The Tasting Room at 327 West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan features Shram's Mead in bottles and special release meads on tap. Shram'smead.com. If you think you don't like mead, you haven't had a Shram's. Uncompromisingly delicious meads since 2013. 
homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a... And we are coming back here live on Got Mead Live. Hey, uh, uh, AJ, it was wonderful having uh, Jennifer and Troy on talking about their new meadery, Legendary Meads. Yeah, always uh, fun to hear of another couple of engineers like my hubby and I are. <laughs> yeah, what is it about engineers and mead anyway? Uh, it's the same thing as, you know, there's a couple of doctors who make mead and hi, Chris. And, um, yeah, hi, you know, Chris. and um, it, it's all about experimentation. I yeah. think, and, and seeing what you can do. And I mean, you know, being the type of person who wants to homeschool or kids, you, you got to be interested in everything and you got to make everything interesting. Well, and it's amazing how that fits into, I mean, how they use the winemaking and, and, and this whole business experience, the the making of the mead, of course, I mean, and all the business side as well. Yeah, you'll, you'll find a lot of like lab techs and um, engineers and doctors are the types of people who want to find out how stuff works. Yeah. And, well, uh, you know, uh, learning how to make stuff yourself is, is a part of that. Well, and, you know, I mean, and, and even how it fits into the homeschooling, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what an opportunity to learn. I mean, you, you basically learn the same stuff that we learned years ago, but in a whole different uh, arena, you know. And it's kind well, of I certainly didn't exercise. learn anything about fermentation until I got to university. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, you know, and I didn't even go to a university, and it took me until now to learn about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'm glad I did. I'm having a lot of fun with it, and uh, I'm sure Jeff or uh, Jeff, I'm sure uh, Jennifer and uh, Troy uh, are going to be having some fun with their uh, meadery too. Yeah, and hopefully their kids will as well. Yeah, but hey, it's uh, it's the Great Pumpkin Pie Project, uh, as Vicky would say. It's the Great uh, Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> the Great Pumpkin, and which isn't quite so pumpkin anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but, well, it might come back. Well, yeah, I mean, it, this is a good lesson. I mean, this is you know, and pumpkin's pie. a fairly subtle flavor to begin with. Yeah, and this is a. I mean, this is a good experiment to kind of do online, do on the show, share everything that I'm doing with this whole thing. We've had some input from different listeners. Uh, you know, uh, from Chris to David to, uh, you know, even Hamish has piped in on it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of a learning experience for me as much as it's been kind of a fun thing to do on the show. And I've learned that, you know, like you say, pumpkin, um, it's going to take a lot more than 30 pounds of raw product to impart that pumpkin flavor if you're looking for it. Well, don't forget, Pete said it might come back to the same way honey flavor comes back as well with a little bit of aging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I mean, I think there's a lesson in that. So, I mean, if you're looking for that pumpkin flavor right off the bat, you know, don't be surprised if it if it's there, goes away, okay, uh, and hopefully it'll come back like, uh, you know. Yeah, I had that happen with the kiwi batch once upon a time. It, it was fantastic right out of primary. And then the kiwi flavor just got lost. And it didn't come back until it had been in the bottle for a year or two. Well, we started this batch back on the 10th of um, October. 
And, of course, we started out at 1.136 gravity. Uh, Last Friday on the 6th, we racked it to a glass five-gallon carboy. And I used... um, I filled the the carboy first with the half a gallon of leftover must that I had. Right. And then the gallon and a half of leftover apple juice that I had. Now, remember I talked about how tart this thing was? Right. Um, That tartness has, it hasn't gone away, but it's a lot less than what it was uh you know let's say two weeks ago yeah i found the same thing with the apple cider that i uh that i had kegged a couple of weeks ago it um it tasted very tart and, and acidic at the beginning and uh it was a whole lot nicer yeah when i had a chance to get into it on saturday well and the apple juice we used was was very sweet uh mm-hmm. You know, so, and I'm sure that's uh, helping to take away, you know, some of that acidic, uh, yep. you know, back sweetening never hurts. Yeah. The, uh, it took the gravity back up to 1.040. However, since last Friday, it has worked itself down to 1.020. Yep. It's still fermenting. <laughs> so, and I expect it to continue probably at least for another week, maybe two weeks. Uh, you know, with with a steady, what I'm calling steady, maybe once every 30, 40 second bubble in the airlock uh, for probably the next week and a half or so before, you know, starts slowing down. Um, And like I said, it tastes a lot better. Uh, Still no hint of the pumpkin, but we're just going to let it uh, finish out. We'll rack it again in about four weeks and see where we're at there. So, and I keep, uh, I don't keep the notes updated daily, uh, on the on the blog, I do them maybe once or twice a week because we're pretty much at that point now. Uh, oh, yeah, you don't need to be touching it every day, right? Right, yeah. So, uh, but we did kind of want to hear from you out there. Uh, what is your next batch? And uh, if you have a house favorite, call us and tell us about it. Uh, the number, 818-921-4680. And uh, I'll tell you what, my next batch is, it's already in the fermenter. I had to thaw out, actually I haven't done it yet. but Daddy has to to clean the freezer. Yeah, Yeah. and not that I wanted, I mean, my intention is to, of course, get into these traditionals, but I had to do something with the strawberries. I didn't want to, you know, I mean, 17 pounds of strawberries would have generated gallons of strawberry jam and i really didn't want to do that so uh i've got that much strawberry i probably would have looked up the yo's uh strawberry um strawberry pizzazz recipe in the patron section well i kind of took uh i took some notes from strawberry recipes uh in the in the gotme.com forum and uh, I've got it sitting on, now shame on me, I had to put a pound of sugar in to get the gravity where I wanted it, but it's sitting on 11 pounds of mesquite that I had, um, 15, I have 17 pounds of strawberries, one, uh, a half a gallon of pure blueberry juice, and uh, one pound of sugar to get the gravity up to 1.140. Yes, it's high, but it's going to be sweet. 
and it's uh, being fermented with 71B. Typical. That uh, should handle it then. That, yeah. that stuff's the workhorse at high graphs. Yeah, and uh, typical uh, typical yeast, I mean, typical nutrient feedings. Uh, three grams uh, at the end of lag. Another three grams went in uh, just uh, what yesterday, I think it was, at the one-third mark. So, And it's coming along pretty good. We do have a caller uh, on the line here, AJ. 4612, uh, what's your name? Where are you from? And uh, what's your next recipe? Well, this is David from Texas. David, hey, David. you know what? i got to put your number in, in the log, too. <laughs> <laughs> So what's going on last week as I was walking in the room? <laughs> what, what's going on in Texas? Uh, nothing. Uh, it's either raining or it's humid with mosquitoes. What? Uh, uh, have you got anything you're working on now? Yeah, I'm uh, about to start uh, my version of Kurt Stock's Superberry Mead. Superberry Mead. Now, what is that? Well, uh, there's a guy named Kurt Stock. I, th- I believe he won a con- contest with this, but it ends up with, I believe, around 21 pounds of honey, uh, 12 pounds of the triple berry mix from the frozen section of the grocery store, six pounds of strawberries, and a can of black currant uh, wine base. AJ, is uh, it? Uh, where, yeah. where, where have I heard that Kurt Stock name before? I have heard it around too. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it on the forum. Maybe Vicky. Maybe, maybe I've heard it from Vicky. Uh, what, what kind of yeast are you using? Well, I'm thinking about trying the one I, I pretty much my standby yeast is Zirica, but I'm going to tweak the recipe and instead of the raspberries and blackberries and the triple berry mix, I'm going to. Uh, Use some alala berries from California. Okay, now I've never had those. What are they? Oh, you're close by to them. They're uh, yeah, I know. Washingtonville and the Central Coast. Uh, it's a hybrid of Logan berries and Young berries. Okay, which are in turn hybrids of Texas dewberries, blackberries, and raspberries. I, uh, I actually where where they grow is a lot further north of me uh, because they're not familiar down here in the Southern California area at all that I'm okay. aware of. But uh, okay. I do know Logan berries though. Uh, that sounds like an interesting recipe. Yeah, the lala berry itself tastes like a blend of a blackberry and a raspberry, and it's a pretty strong flavor. I know when I make a blackberry needs over here in Texas, uh, the blackberry flavor is kind of weak. You just got to add more and more of those. The alala berries, uh, the flavor really comes through. Yeah. Anything like that in Canada, AJ? Uh, we've got all kinds of weird berries. Um, I don't have uh, access to all of them because they grow in different provinces, of course. But uh, uh, we've we've got blackberries. We've got black raspberries. We've got raspberries. Um, I have heard of Logan berries. Uh, we've got what are they called? Salmon berries, Saskatoon berries. So I I'm not really sure how to what to compare those to because yeah. I've I've never had one of those and I've also never had a lot of the stuff that's also available in Canada. Is this a uh, is this a big batch, uh, David? It's supposed to make about a five to six gallon batch, but when you initially put the berries in, you have to do it in two buckets because of the volume of the fruit. Right. Uh, <laughs> That's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, uh, they just basically freeze the fruit and then throw the bags into it, and it all turns to mush in the end. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I ran into that problem when, when I, uh, you know, and this is one of those, oh, crap moments when, you know, you're putting everything into your fermenter and I didn't account for the displacement. So all, all, all you new mead makers out there who just <laughs> space displacement out like I did, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when I filled my fermenter up and then I went to drop the, at that point, it was like 13 pounds of, of product, pumpkin product in. And as the bag is slowly disappearing into the mead, it's like, overflowing the edges of the fermenter yeah and it's like oh, that's why crap. i always put the bag in first yeah good good smart idea aj yeah <laughs> well yeah that, that's why they usually say even when you're using fruit and secondary which i i personally have never done that before um i've always done fruit and primary because my background is winemaking rather than you know mead making yeah. um so if I were to put the, the fruit in, in secondary, I would be fermenting sugar water, which isn't a whole lot of fun. But uh, wow. anyway, yeah, they recommend that you rack on top of your fruit bag when even when you're doing it in secondary. So that's probably why. Yeah. We have a, uh, and I do recognize the number. In fact, I, I was just thinking this guy. I was going to say, hey, Chris, I know you're not operating tonight. I called the hospital, so give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> and he is here, Chris uh, in Mississippi, uh, joining us. Show David, thanks for the uh, update. Stick around if you want here just a little bit. But uh, Doctor Chris in the house. Yes. What's, what's going on in Mississippi? I, uh, I wanted to say hey to everybody. Uh, Dave is making a need that I've already made almost. Uh, nice. I made Kurt Stocks uh, multi berry. How'd that turn out? Uh, it's really good. It starts out very tart in the beginning. It ages out real well. Uh, Kurt has got some wonderful recipes. Um, and I think I mentioned a week or so ago uh, one of his recipes for a hydromel. And it's actually a carbonated. Uh, and it's the same recipe that, that Dave is doing, except it starts out with a very low gravity, about... Uh, well, I think it starts out around 1050 for gravity, and then you carb it up when it's done, back sweeten it and carb it, carb it up. Really good stuff. And uh, I made uh, I made Kurt's uh, strawberry banana, which is a strawberry banana mead. Very good as well. Wow. Sounds amazing. Kurt. Kurt, Kurt likes to make the, uh, he says, the fruit bonds, and, and I found out that's true because he really loads it up with fruit, but <laughs> that's what I like. If it's if you're going to make a strawberry, make a strawberry. Yeah. Well, that's, okay. you know. Uh, well, this mead that I'm drinking right now from Rossignol uh, Estate Winery, um, I've got it in a clear glass, and if I hold it up to the light, I cannot see through it. There's that much blackberry in it. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. What, um, yeah, so have you got anything new? I know you've been working on this Holy Bloody Mary dragon thing. What was it? It's Heart Murmur. Heart Murmur. It's heart Murmur. <laughs> Something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't that a takeoff of some blood something? Heart of Darkness. Yeah, heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah. It was uh, Ken Schramm's Heart of Darkness. And, uh, uh, that thing is, 
probably going to be the only thing I do until I get it right. Yeah. Because that's the kind of person I am. When I start on something, I go head first, and I don't stop until I get it or realize that there's no way. So, oh, I, was, I was thinking of Dragon's Blood for some reason. <laughs> I saw yeah. that somewhere. Okay. Uh, there's Viking one for Viking Blood. blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, have you got yeah, another batch going? Yeah, I've got my second batch going. I altered the recipe a little bit. I promised everyone I would post it on the forums when I was happy with it. Yeah. And because uh, I, I want to make sure everyone else can make it, and uh, it turns out the same for everyone. So, but I want to make sure my recipe is right first. And uh, the first one was really good. Uh, my wife said it was the best drink she'd ever had. Awesome. Uh, not just me, but any any alcoholic drinking that she had had and it was good but it wasn't what I had in mind so uh, tweaking the uh, ratios of cherry to black currant and to raspberry and uh, everything else was good so cool we'll know in a couple of weeks there you go awesome guys hey I appreciate the phone calls Uh, If you want to stick around, uh, we need to take a break here, and then uh, we're going to run into the Ask Oscar. He's actually going to be talking Piments tonight. It was him and I uh, during the recording session the other day, and uh, interesting discussion on uh, on Piment. Of course, that's that's making me, DJ, with grapes or grape juice or grape this or grape that, right? Yeah. And uh, so Ask Oscar coming up. So uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to cut away, take that commercial break. When we come back, we're going to roll right into Ask Oscar. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. If you're a mead maker, a book you need to have on the shelf is Mad About Mead by Pamela Spence. Look for it, grab it, if you can. It's been out of print for a while. But if you can find it, add it to your library. And while you're at it, check out pamspence.com. Pam is an active storyteller, author, community minister, and is the editor for local newspapers in Columbus, Ohio. You can find her most recent book, Glad Rags, Red Panties, Cowgirl Boots, and A Sweet Dress to Die For at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Please visit pamspence.com for more. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery meads. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult 
finding his way into brewing beer, and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. And uh, today it's Pete and I, uh, Vicky, uh, off gallivanting around. Uh, I, I think she might even be on her way out to the West Coast. Uh, I noticed uh, she's coming out here to San Francisco, Pete. She's got relatives out here, but she's also stopping off at a couple of meteries as well. Yeah, I'll see her up at UC Davis. We have a uh, a big meadery branding meeting on Thursday to uh with a, a number of meteries from all over the, the nation uh, awesome. to talk about branding need and kind of getting everybody onto the same page hopefully with uh, some kind of uh you know message on branding and i think that's a very big thing for um the meat industry in general at this point as well as specific meteries uh, kind of getting everybody you know, onto the same page about the direction the meat industry is going and what their brand actually is for meat and how to press that out to the public and how to support it from each meadery that's, you know, in production and, and getting product out there to the stores. So I think that's a huge thing. And then I'm along with uh, myself, Ken Schramm, uh, Mike Fall, and Michael Fairbrother will be teaching an intro to mead making, basic mead making course. And in this course, we will actually be in the teaching winery at UC Davis, run by Chick Brenneman, who is their winemaker on campus. And we are going to be actually making mead. So Ken and Mike and Michael and myself will all have about 10 to 12 students or more. And we will be getting out the old uh, stirring spoons and putting together some must and inoculating it and uh, turning it into mead. Awesome. Obviously, uh, yeah, we put it all together there. It'll ferment under the watchful eye of of Chick, and uh, and we'll be bottling some that was made prior to this, probably about six months ago, if I remember right off the top of my head, so everybody gets to go home with some mead. Awesome. Wow. You know, I wish I could be up there and join it. It'd be kind of cool if they could put it on a webinar or something and, you know, broadcast it out so people could sign up. I'd even pay to, you know, to uh, log in and, and take the course online if it was available. But uh, Vicki uh, left me some notes here. Uh, apparently, uh, you've got some questions uh, sent in about piments. We do. Now, piment, uh, 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 just to clarify what, what a piment is, that's made with grapes or grape juice? Correct. With okay. the fresh fruit or the juice or frozen fruit or from a wine kit, um, it can be made any number of ways. Um, the question here is from Rob on the forums. Uh, we'd love to have Oscar talk about making piments as there is not that much information available. I'm interested in hearing about best practices for making piments from wine kits as well as fresh grapes. And uh, you're going to get more than you bargain for there, Rob, because I'm going to talk about juice as well and frozen fruit. 
um, as there's quite a bit of both available here in California and uh, wherever there's a winery around. Um, he would like to cut his teeth on a kit, uh, then move up to fresh fruit from there. One specific issue he's seeing is managing your initial gravity while staring, still having enough honey added to get a good balanced grape honey flavor in both dry and or sweeter piments. Uh, would also be interested in honey yeast and honey, comma, yeast, comma, and grape recommendations. In short, please ask Pete to do a brain dump on piments. <laughs> <laughs> look, for, look forward to your show each week. Uh, I'll keep making need to call in. You know, it keeps meaning to call in. Excuse me, uh, but I have a toddler running around, which makes it tough. Yeah, uh, kids running around need to be managed. Yeah, especially if there are pets and uh, you know electrical outlets involved. Oh yeah, yeah, you bet. All right. So, I guess uh, why don't we start at the basics, you know. Um, Piment, as uh, J.D. mentioned, is uh, uh, wine grape, juice, uh, and honey. Uh, Now, that can be fresh juice, that can be frozen juice, that can be fresh fruit, that can be frozen fruit, or it can be kit. Um, Kits are a little more self-contained, so why don't we start off with that, since that was he's specifically intending on starting on a kit, so they will have... Um, any number of things in the kit. The kits vary kind of uh, from style to style, grape to grape, and uh, wine to wine also. Um, I was mentioning style earlier. Uh, the kits will have, uh, you know, oaked, unoaked. They'll have, you know, malolactic or no malolactic involved. There's uh, a lot of different ways that the kits can go. And I'm just going to start with a basic kit. I'm going to leave... Um, malolactic out of the uh, equation on this portion of it and maybe we'll get to that a little bit later but for right now let's just talk about making uh, a basic piment with the kit in the kit you're going to have a concentrate of your grape so you'll have kind of like a grape syrup for lack of a better term concentrate uh, that you're going to have to blend down with water and uh, you're also going to need to put some honey in it it's too bad that Vicky isn't uh, in on this one because uh, she had a kit uh, wine that she made with a uh, chamber sand grape, if I remember right. And uh, so she, you know, I kind of stepped her through that while she was, you know, putting it all together. And it turned out wonderfully. She actually brought some of it to the Mazer Cup in about 2000, 2009, if I remember right. And uh, she and Ken and John Bryans and I and Glenn and Danny were in my room up there drinking some of that, and we drank quite a bit of it, actually. <laughs> and uh, it turned out really, really good. All right. And uh, she actually used a kit for that. So, yeah, basically, where to start with this? Uh, first thing you're going to need to do is uh, bring your... Um, concentrate into uh, a bricks range that seems about right for the yeast that's included in the kit. Um, and that means blending with water to bring it up to whatever the recommended bricks is going to be. Um, you can use the yeast that's in the kit um, because the instructions 
started applying to the yeast that's included in the kit. And, uh, you know, each one of these kits is individually put together with a specific grape, a specific yeast, a specific amount of acid. Uh, sometimes some oak is included in that to give it a, you know, oak on the end. And in some cases, they'll include uh, a uh, malolactic bacteria uh, to put it through malolactic uh, fermentation. Um, in the classic Emil Pinot style, as Emil Pinot once said, all good wine goes through two fermentations, one through yeast, one through bacteria. Um, and as I said earlier, though, we're not going to get into the, the ifs and buts of uh, malolactic in this particular session because we really want to get to blending in the water, blending in the honey, and getting yourself a good balance. So the first thing to do uh, based on a kit is to start diluting down that grape juice concentrate to where it's at a manageable bricks for your fermentation. So you add the water, bring it down to just a little bit below uh, where they recommend your bricks level should be before inoculating with the yeast. Uh, you do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I've found in a couple of cases when I've been working with people that are using kits that when they blend it down to the recommended bricks level, it's a little watery. Um, doesn't have quite the punch that you would get from like regular, uh, grapes because of the skin and the seeds and the stems and the, you know, the tannin and sugars you get from the skins and the, the strings you get from the, uh, seeds and stems uh, and the skin as well. Um, so bring it below that a little bit and taste it. If it tastes watery or it's thin or it doesn't have enough character, um, probably a good idea to go ahead and just, you know, bring it up to the level that they're recommending. But if it has enough character to it, if it's got a good body, you know, as far as sweetness goes and, and character and mouthfeel, they're just juice. Um, you can start adding honey at that point. Um, depending on the kind of grape as well, white grapes are going to be a little less easy to do that with because they'll tend to not be as robust flavored as, say, a red grape like uh, Cabernet or Zinfandel or Merlot. <laughs> Excuse me. Or uh, Shiraz or some of the other grapes that are available out there to do that with. And now the, you know, one of the other things with kits is there's just so many varietals that are available. And you kind of want to look around. I'd recommend going out to winepress.us uh, and uh, going onto their forums where people are talking about kits and which ones they've had success with and which ones they like because you'll get recommendations on vendors there who who carries them on uh, particular um producers who, who produces the wine kit that you're going to be using, what what kind of varietals are available, and uh, you'll get some real good information there. Um, I'd, I'd recommend going with a red grape the first time around only because I, I don't make much white wine. I do make white wine sometimes, but I make mostly red wine, so that's what I know better than I know white wine as far as what climates go. Um Day grape that's that's going to be robust enough to where it can stand up to some honey flavor cutting into it. Um, that to me means big red grapes. I like big red grapes anyhow. Take a look at Zinfandel. That's my number one recommendation. The spiciness of the Zin, that nice Zin flavor, mixes really really well with honey. Uh, I've made several 
several different varieties of uh, Zinfandel Pinot. Uh, the latest one that I made was a Hippocris that was done in the style of a, uh, a Pinot slash Sizer, which I call a Pizer. Um, Is that a new category? And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a Pizacrass. Um, as opposed to a Pizacrass. Uh, Pizacrass, I, I just like that, that whole word. Um even though it's not really a word, but for me it is. So, um, get your grape juice blended down. Get the concentrate, you know, blended down to where you're right in the brick range that uh, is being recommended for the yeast that's being provided. Then start adding in your honey and uh, bring that honey flavor up till it's a little bit uh, above where the level of the grape is because when this fermentation goes, uh, it's going to tend to uh, burn down the honey uh, flavor uh, to the point where it's it's kind of at the end of fermentation. It's sometimes difficult to discern. I won't say difficult to discern, but the the honey flavor kind of acts as a second uh, class citizen. And don't go crazy with it. You know, don't go you know starting out at a you know bricks up into the, like thirty fives and forties. Um, but at the same time, you're probably going to want to be in a range where that honey is well represented. You can smell it in the air. You can taste it in the must, and you can feel it in your mouth. Um, well, you can do all three of those things, and it's probably time to go ahead and inoculate. So you grab the yeast that's in that kit, and you take a look at it. What are they using? Are they using a yeast? So now it's time to, to find out about the yeast that they're recommending. Do some research on it. And, you know, don't do this when it's time to inoculate. Do it before you even open the package, you know, or... If you have to open the package, find out what yeast is in it, then open the package if the yeast to do some research on it. Is it commonly used in the varietal wine um, that you're making out of that kit? In other words, if you're using a Merlot, are they using a yeast that's very commonly used for mixing Merlots or, you know, dark red grapes? Um, I think that's really important for a couple of reasons. I know a couple of these kits use uh, PC, Premier Cuvée which is a, a widely used yeast, even though it's a champagne yeast, they use it in red fermentation, white fermentation, blush fermentation, uh, and a number of other things in California and around the world. It's a very popular yeast because it goes dry um, without fail unless you're just completely derelict in your duties as a fermentation manager. Um, Premier Cuvée is a, is a good yeast, but it's not specifically a Merlot yeast. Um, how about if you're making Zinfandel? You know, you've got, you, you, if you look at the company's packages and you see Premier Cuvée or another strain of yeast used for um, Zinfandel and Cabernet and Merlot and Sangiovese and uh, Syrah and Petit Syrah and Barbera and a bunch of these other grapes, um, chances are that they really haven't done their due diligence in putting that kit together, so you should probably move on before you buy it. But if that's the case and you find out after the fact that you've got a, um, a kit that's made, you know, basically with a, a yeast, a one yeast that they use, and, um, then it might be in your best interest to do some research on that grape, find out what the most popular yeasts are, find out the time of year that you're making it so you can find out what kind of temperature range if you don't have any temperature control in your fermenter. Um, Take a look at the yeast strain that's being used and see if it matches up to your geographic locale. In other words, if you're living somewhere like JD and I live in Southern California where it's going to be hot during the summer and cold during the winter, 
or semi-cold during the winter or even shorts weather during the winter. Like, just say, more just like it is now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, then you're going to want to maybe take a look at changing the yeast that they included with that. If they're, for instance, if you're making a Chardonnay piment and, you know, they've got, uh, EC1118, which is a champagne yeast and Pinot Chardonnay is one of the grapes that goes into making champagne along with, uh, Pinot Noir, Petit Verdot. Um, <clears throat> you're going to want to, uh, maybe change that yeast to something that's a little more geared specifically toward producing white burgundies or Chardonnay. So CY3079 would be a good place to start. D47 would be a good place to start. Um, other yeast out there that, that are going into making those kind of, uh, you know, white wines, uh, specifically to preserve that flavor of the Chardonnay. Um, both CY3079 and D47 are good for Chardonnays and for, for sweeter meads. Uh, and dryer means. Uh, they're both good for leaves exposure and they're both good for extended leaves exposure. So, um, two good choices there if you're making a Chardonnay pilot. If you're making a, uh, Cabernet pilot, um, or let's start out with Burgundy pilot, something from, uh, like Pinot Noir. Um, take a look at RC212, uh, um, L2225. There's some other, you know, real good, uh, grapes out there for making uh, a Burgundy-style Pinot Noir um, grape uh, pine um, You know, there's a, um, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but there's a, uh, what I found, a, a pretty good, uh, uh, there's a PDF file. If, if you go to morewine.com, uh, more winemaking, yeah, or more, yeah, morewinemaking dot com. If you just go to the yeast uh, uh, category on the menu there, uh, in, in any one of the yeast, uh, this PDF is available, and it's uh, yeast and grape pairing. Uh, I, I personally, I, I think it's a pretty good reference. Uh, have you seen that, Pete? Yeah, Shea Comfort put that up there a while ago. Um, that's, that's actually been up there for a number of years. Um, it's, it's got some good pairings or some that I don't agree with, uh, and not to pick nits or anything. So, but for somebody that hasn't really gotten a lot of exposure to, uh, pairing grapes with, uh, with yeast, it's a, it's a great way to start. The other one that I'd recommend is going to the, uh, going to the lalamon.us wine page or lalamonwine.us. If you look at the yeast in there, they'll have specific recommendations for each one of the yeast there that they use uh, with grapes that it ferments well with. And what's that website again, uh, Pete? Lalamonwine.us. Lalamonwine.us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, Shay's a good guy, um, although they did... Um, abscond with the name that my uh the brew club that i made gave me so he's now known as the yeast whisperer which is what everybody called me (laughs) (laughs) which is fine (laughs) yeah but uh pretty hilarious but uh so we've talked about uh you know picking some let's make some sensible choices on our yeast with our grapes let's do some research on it let's find out if that kit um, is really tailored specifically to that grape or if it's just like a, Hey, we got a bunch of, uh, 
Maroju's here, and we got a bunch of Premier Cuvée yeast that we didn't use in our last run, so let's put those two together. So do some common sense stuff. Do some research. Do your diligence. Research the grape. Research the yeast. Research the company that makes them. Research the guys that uh, sell it. Ask questions about them. You know, do you have a lot of people using this kit? How's their success rate? Is there anyone I can talk to? Um, before you spend your money, listen, money is, a, you know, money is money. It's, it's hard to get and it's easy to spend. So, you know, if you're going to go through the effort of working to buy something, let, let's go ahead and spend your money wisely so that you have something that you're going to be happy with. Put yourself in the best position to be successful. And it's the same way with the ingredients. So if you've got a, a grape like Cabernet or Pinot Noir or Zinfandel or Petite Syrah or Syrah, um, they're all distinct varietals. They all have their own little uh, picadillos, um, and you want to find a yeast that's going to exploit those and bring out the best in it. So that's, uh, I guess that's probably the best advice I can give is number one, find a good vendor, somebody who sells a lot of good kits. Number two, find a good kit that's produced by a good kit maker. Number three, zero in on the grape that you want to use to make your payment. What's number four? Number four, take a look at the yeast strain that's available. Uh, that does really good with those particular grape varietals. Well, where's number five take us? Number five takes us to the honey. Get a honey that's going to match up well to the grape that you're going to be using. That's where it's going to take a little bit more research. Um, are you going to want to use Eastern buckwheat honey with, uh, with a white wine, say like uh, a Pinot Grigio or a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc or a Gewurztraminer or a, a Riesling or, or anything like that? Probably not. Big, heavy, barnyardy, musty, horse urine kind of uh, characters when it's young. Um, with some big, heavy, wonderful flavors as it ages. But uh, pairing that up with a white grape or even a red grape, in my opinion, no. Not something that I'd be doing. Um, the Poles use a lot of uh, Eastern buckwheat or their own version of buckwheat over there, which is very much like Eastern buckwheat. It's a strong honey. They let it, they let it age for a long time before they put it into crocs and let it age some more and then sell it. So don't expect a great tasting um, piment uh, if you use Eastern Buckley honey um, as soon as it comes out of the bin or after it's been aging for a year because it, it won't be great unless you like that flavor, in which case have at it, you know, enjoy it. But... Uh, Look for honeys that aren't going to outstrip the grape, but are going to support it. Look at the grape. What kind of flavors does it have? Is it sweet? Is it, you know, kind of sour? Is it tart? Does it have a lot of mineral to it? Is it, uh, you know, all of the other flavor descriptors you want to think of? Then look at the honeys that uh, you want to match up with it. Are they complementary? You know, do we have something that's got a lot of spice to it, like a Zinfandel grape? And you're pairing that with a, uh, let's say, a mesquite honey or a wahio honey. Uh, something's got some character to it or even tupelo. Is that the right spice combination for that particular grape? Or, 
you know, there's, there's something that's out there that's better. It's the same way with, uh, you know, any other group. Look at its strengths, look at its weaknesses, look at the strength of the ammunition using. Try not to overpower the grape flavor, but at the same time, we want something that's going to support and be the, you know, greater than the sum of all the parts. So, narrow your honeys down, find a vendor that's got it, get some good honey. Then it's time to make the thing. So, you know, open up the kit, get out your brew bucket, get out that concentrate, dilute it down, get it to the recommended bricks level that, uh, the, uh, the vendors recommending taste it as you get up there to see if it's too thin when it's there. If it's not, you know, doesn't have enough body to it. Um, keep that in the concentrate until you're up to the recommended level. Um, now that's one way to do it. The other way that I was talking about earlier is, uh, adding a little bit of honey to it before you even bring it up to that level. And you can do that as well. Um, add your honey in. Stir them up, um, add about a gallon of water in, uh, stir it around until it's blended in, taste it. How is the honey? How is the grape? How does the balance feel? Um, my recommendation is that when you, as you approach or you get to the final initial gravity that you're going to be inoculating at, um, keep tasting once until you get up there. I'd balance it a little bit more to the side of the honey um, before you inoculate in order to uh, make sure that that honey flavor is there because you're making a pie and it's not just going to be wine. You're not just sweetening the wine up to make sure that, you know, you get like a good fermentation. You're, you're adding flavor into it. So if you approach it from the adding and keeping the flavor, you'll be fine. Um, once you've got it to the level you want, then it's time to go ahead and start thinking about your uh, yeast and get it and, um, rehydrated, get it ready to go. Um, you're going to have a higher than normal concentration of sugar because you're using tea sources now. You're using grape sugar and honey sugar. Um, grapes are going to be more uh, glucophilic than fructophilic. Honey is more fructophilic um, than glucophilic as far as the yeasts are uh, concerned. In other words, most yeasts that are made for fermenting uh, wine grapes are glucophilic. They look for glucose before they look for fructose. Um, in any number of cases, you'll see in stuck fermentations that the glucose has been depleted and they're trying to chew on fructose, which is one of the reasons that they can, that they can become stuck. Um, in the case of honey, um, the predominant sugar in honey is fructose as opposed to glucose. So you're looking for a grape that's more fructose, or excuse me, that's more fructophilic. Uh, Uber Firm 43 springs to mind. Uh, there's a, uh, a recent set of tests that were done, and I don't remember where off the top of my head, but uh, a lot of mead makers back east really like 71B1122. Um, I think it's a good yeast. It's not my favorite yeast. Well, it is distinctly glucophilic. In a matter of fact, in the field of about 20 yeast that they did test with on uh, solutions that were high in fructose and low in glucose, it came in dead last during fermentation rates. Um, so that's something to consider um, if you're going to be fermenting wine yeast. Um, so you have your must all mixed up now to the level that you want. You've got the yeast that you want 
um, get it rehydrated with some GoFirm, um, take a look at the kit, see if they're recommending um, a DAP addition before you inoculate the must. Um, if they are, go ahead and get that DAP in there. Any Firm AK or other supplements that they might recommend. Uh, one of the reasons that you'll see a number of supplements, including acid, in uh, a wine kit is because uh, the concentrate doesn't necessarily have all the balance and all of the balanced uh, ingredients that wine grapes do when they're fresh. Um, so follow the instructions, adjust it with acid, adjust it with nutrient, adjust it with um, yeast holes, uh, whatever they're recommending in there, and get it to the level before you inoculate with the yeast. Uh, follow the instructions, get the levels and all those up, and then it's time to inoculate. Um, measure the temperature of your starter and measure the temperature of your must. And if they're more than 18 degrees C apart, then you need to add half the volume of your starter, uh, of your yeast slurry, I guess I should say, um, of the must. So if you've got a, let's just make it easy, if you've got uh, a 1,000 milliliters of uh, yeast slurry, you're going to add 500 milliliters of the must into that and let it sit for 15 minutes. Give it a stir and let it rest, and you'll see it start to like bubble and such. Uh, while bubbles aren't a sure indicator of uh, yeast activity, they they do give you an idea that the yeast is actually doing something other than just laying there and falling asleep. Um, add in another half of that must, and now you're going to have a two liter um, starter rather than just a 1,000 ml slurry of yeast, you've added some must into it at a rate of 500 or one half of the initial volume of your slurry. After 15 minutes, you add another um, 500 milliliters, which will get a total solution there of 2,000 milliliters or two liters. And then after 15 minutes more, you go ahead and just slowly stir that into the must and you're off and running. So once you've got uh, your your um, initial piment musk mixed up and you've gone ahead and done everything as far as adjustments, you've added your acid, you've added your nutrient, you've added whatever else they're asking you to add into it, um, go ahead and get that yeast slurry started. Check the temperatures if they're far apart to uh, a temperation steps. Inoculate stir, cover it up however you're going to cover it up. Some people want to cover it with cheesecloth only um, or put a lid on it that has an airlock in it. Uh, anything to keep the cats and dogs and anything else that might be running around in your garage from getting into your must and, and infecting it. Um, once you've got it all mixed together, bada bing, bada boom, it's ready to go. You know, so you just manage it like you would wine or mead or uh, a piment in this case. Keep an eye on the temperature. Keep an eye on the pH. Smell it to see if it's throwing any off flavors. If so, go ahead and adjust with nutrient. Dap early on. Uh, firm AK or Firm AO, depending on what your preference is. As you get closer toward the one-third sugar break. After that, it's just uh, cover it up, put an airlock on it and uh, swirl it daily to keep the, the stuff moving, to keep temperature zones from building up, to keep uh, 
you know, little colonies of bacteria that may have taken hold from, you know, growing and becoming fruitful, so to speak, and keep them from, you know, competing with the yeast that are in there. Um, swirling also keeps the yeast up in suspension so they have better um, access to the sugar that's out there in, in the must itself. And uh, it just helps keep things normalized, keeps, like I said, uh, temperature zones from building and from fermentation zones from becoming distinct from others. So we've got all that stuff going for you now, and you got it in your bucket, and you're watching and managing your fermentation. And that's just kit wine. What about juice? What about frozen fruit? What about fresh fruit? How are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing fine. Uh, we're about 30 minutes in, so usual sessions left anywhere from 35, 40 to an hour. <laughs> we're doing okay. fine. Yeah, I mean, this okay. is an interesting category, Pete. And, uh, you know, and I think what you're about to get into is the part that I was kind of been waiting for. I mean, you know, because there are different types of i mean the grape comes in different types of uh you know whether it's frozen or concentrated or uh, you know like you say the whole grape so i mean how, how do you approach that well it's going to be a little bit different than kit kit and juice are two of the easier ones uh, juice just briefly um rather than going out and buying a concentrate and reconstituting it and acidulating it and um, adjusting it with nutrient and, and different things and then inoculating with your yeast. Uh, juice can be, can come in a couple of different ways and it can be kind of confusing. Uh, a lot of times when you say juice, basically what you're getting is must that's already fermenting or must that's already pretty much close to have completed fermentation. So as you add honey to that, you're going to reignite the fermentation. And you may have to add your own yeast into it as well. That's when you have to know a couple of things. You have to know which yeast was being used at the winery um, and what yeast you can use that's not going to cause uh, the interaction of the two yeasts to be um, adversarial. In other words, there are a number of yeasts that are made that uh, have a killer factor. And the yeasts are in one of three ways. They're either killer positive, killer negative, or killer neutral. In other words, they, they either have an active kill factor, they're sensitive to active kill factors, or they're neutral and they're not affected. They don't produce a kill factor and they're not affected by. Uh, in the case of sensitive yeast, if you if your winery was using a yeast that's sensitive to the, the yeast that you're going to inoculate with as you add your honey to keep the fermentation going, that's fine. It'll kill off the earlier generation in favor of the one that you're inoculating with. So the uh, competitive kill factor there, the, com the competitive factor, will go out there and nuke the population of that other yeast and take over, which is fine. But if you've got one in there that's got an active kill factor already, you might want to consider just uh, adding additional yeast to keep that fermentation going if necessary. If you add the honey into it and it just takes off like a rocket, um, you probably don't need to worry too much about adding extra uh, yeast into it to keep the fermentation going. But if it was at the end of the fermentation, like when it's getting ready to stop and it's, you know, the alcohol um, level is up high, it may be tough to get that going again. So it'll have to do 
uh, kind of a modified restart stuck fermentation protocol, which would be the same thing in, in a similar way to uh, starting the initial fermentation. Reconstitute your yeast, get uh, a yeast slurry going, take some of that uh, fermenting must, add it into that slurry, and let the yeast that you're using in your slurry kind of take over. When it starts showing signs of life, go ahead and add another step. Uh, bring your your uh, temperation step up again by another half of the volume, so you'll have basically twice what you started out with, and then slowly inoculate in. Uh, you can do that in steps, and you can do it all at once. I'd recommend just if you got a five gallon batch and break it down into one gallon um, um, additions. So start out with like a, uh, a half gallon of uh, slurry. Um, in other words, you know, start start fresh with some juice or some honey. Uh, make your own must up and uh, get it going. Um, and then add the fermenting juice into that. And then, you know, they temperate until you're where you need to be with the starter and then add that back into the must, and you'll have a little bit more than you started with, but you'll have a stronger fermentation that way. Um, frozen fruits everywhere, and you can get it from more winemaking. Uh, Grapes Direct, I think, is one of the companies. Um, they all have good stuff. It's basically like using fresh, except it's frozen. Uh, you don't have to go through the crushing because they've already done that for you. Your bucket will have... Um, you know, five gallons of uh, crushed, you know, um, Cabernet or Zinfandel or Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc, whichever you order. Most um, of the, uh, yeah. m- most brew shops carry that I've known, I mean, at least the three that I know of in my area, they carry the frozen, the canned, uh, everything except for the, you know, the, the grape on the vine, the whole grape. So it's just, you know, right. another resource to, to, to find. You know, if you're looking for, you know, the grape, uh, try your local brew shop. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And uh, a lot of them will have that, especially the, you know, canned uh, concentrates or in kits. Um, frozen, you buy directly, you know, a lot of times from the company that has the frozen grapes. They're pricey because you're going to be pulling from some of the top vineyards around in the top ABAs. Um, it's a good way to get a really high-quality grape. You're going to pay through the nose, but it's worth it. Um, treat it like gold because that's essentially what it is price-wise, but uh, you'll get a good product out of it. Um, in the case of frozen grapes, you want to let them thaw. You want to go ahead and, uh, you know, treat it like you would normally with uh, making wine from fresh fruit at that point. So you're going to want to give it a cold soak. Um, go ahead and hit it with enzyme. Um, it may already be pre-sulfited, so when you unfreeze it, it's probably okay to go ahead and um, start treating it as you would normally before you inoculate. If it's not already pre-sulfited for you, uh, I'm sure the instructions that come with it will advise you of that. Um, once it's to a temperature that you can start, you know, manipulating it, do all of the adjustments that you're going to make on it, whether they're for pH or total acid or, um, 
any other kind of adjustments you're going to make. You're going to add oak into the primary. You're going to add any, any other things to it to get it to the point of where you want to inoculate it. Um, at that point, you're pretty much working with a regular wine must that's been thawed out and frozen. You're going to get um, a little bit uh, more aggressive extraction because the fruit's been frozen, so it's broken down already for you. So um, that enzyme that you use, you might want to go a little more light-handed on or just go at the regular rate. It's up to you. But you will get good color extraction, good tannin extraction, and good sugar extraction from the skins. And you're going to get, uh, you know, real good uh, utilization of the pulp and, and everything that's in there. So you should expect a good, strong, fast fermentation that leaves uh, a very small amount of uh, um, pumice at the end. So there'll be very little waste of that. Fresh fruit, hey, you know, you're going to go buy some fresh fruit. Um, you're going to want to go to a place that's going to have a crusher destemmer if you don't have that equipment. Um, run it through the crusher destemmer, hit it with your sulfite, let it sit overnight, hit it with your enzyme, let it sit overnight again. Um, and then it's time to start making any adjustments that you have. Check your pH, check your acid, um, check the level of sugar, um, get your yeast slurry ready to go, make a starter, a temperate, inoculate, and you're ready to run. Um, Get your honey added to the level that you want before you do all of the inoculation, obviously. Check the flavor, and, uh, you know, off you go. Well, uh, <laughs> and this, you know, just by listening to you, I mean, it just can be... Uh, and and this is why you really need to, to study first, do your research, make sure of what you're doing, go through the whole entire process, figure out what you need to add, uh, because this is this is an expensive batch of mead. Uh, you know, when you're paying, uh, you know, premium prices for honey, I mean, if you're making a five to six to eight gallon batch of, of mead, you know, I mean, we're talking you know, quite a bit of honey here. And then, of course, the price of the grapes. So, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, this is an, an uh, a small investment, but like you said in the beginning of the show, money is money, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you're going to make, uh, if your intent is to make a high-quality payment, or uh, let's just take it down to the base gift. If you're going up to buy uh, a ton or a half a ton of grapes, you know, that you're going to be dragging a macro bin back down to your house to do the fermentation in. Um, for instance, if you're buying um, Zinfandel grapes in Amador County from one of the top vineyards that's willing to sell to you in small quantities of a half a ton or a ton, um, you're going to be paying premium price. And premium price means for uh, a half a ton, you're going to be looking anywhere from $1,000 all the way up to wow. to $1,200 for a half a ton. And for a full ton, you can spend as much as $3,200 or more. For a whole ton, I should say, $3,200 a ton or more. So that's a big question right there. And there's not a lot of guys that are going to sell to you in anything smaller than a ton or a half ton. They don't want to do it because it's a hassle for them. Yeah. Um, and it's completely understandable. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, are out there at all times of the day and night, checking the bricks to make sure that it's at the perfect bricks level to pick. 
And when they do, they'll be out there picking. It doesn't matter if it's 2 in the morning or 12 at noon. When it's at the right level, they're going to pick. And so um, if you want it at a certain level that they're not going to be picking at, you're going to be out of luck. So you're going to need to find a guy that's uh, willing to work with you and is used to selling to smaller buyers. If you wind so, up investing in, uh, you know, one of these macro bins, can you freeze the grapes? I mean, I, I don't know how much a macro bin yields as far as grape juice or fermenting. But half, ton, half ton of grapes in about uh, anywhere from 60 or more. It, it, call it 80 gallons of must. Yeah. 60 to 80 gallons of must. Okay. And the so, uh, final product will be about 60 gallons worth of uh, wine. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and, and these grapes, I mean, I, I, I don't know where you'd freeze a half a ton of grapes, but uh, can they be frozen and then, you know, thawed out and used uh, like any other fruit we put in Melomels, let's say? You know, I've, I've never done that. Um, I'm sure there are people that have, but I'm not sure that you've frozen a half ton. Um, in that case, if you're going to freeze them, why buy the fresh fruit and then freeze them? Um, go out and just get a bucket. You know, I, I'm not one that would go out and spend a lot of money on on fresh grapes and then freeze them to use later. Um, yeah. It just doesn't track with the style, you know, my, my making style. Um, but there are, I'm sure there's people that have bought, you know, grapes and then put them into big Ziplocs and put them in their freezer. No problem with that. No, that that's fine, too. Well, and then earlier, you know, you started out talking about, you know, starting out with a kit. And I've seen kits that run from anywhere from 120 to almost $200 for premium uh, type grapes. And uh, so, I mean, it, you know, uh, I guess the bottom line here, it's, it's a serious investment. I mean, you're talking a couple hundred dollar batch of, of mead, of piment, uh, and it's smart to you know, research, ask questions, make sure you're following, you know, a refined recipe, one that works. Uh, I've learned that lesson too many times, um, you know, and uh, I mean, this whole, this is the whole area that, that I hope to get into as soon as I get my own methods down and my processes down. I keep, you know, I'm going to keep working on traditionals. Uh, but I'm definitely, I mean, I'm a red wine drinker and I'm definitely interested in these piments. Yep. Piments are very, very nice. Well, uh, Pete, thanks. Uh, we pretty much, uh, come to the end of the session here. Um, I mean, we could, I, you know me, I mean, we could talk all day about, <laughs> about making meat, about making piments. Uh, sure. cer certainly appreciate the input and uh, thank you to Rob, uh, for sending in the question. Uh, and keep them coming. You know, you can uh, find the link there on the uh, gotme.com website. Uh, make sure that you fill out the form as completely as you possibly can. I mean, uh, you've got to ask pointed questions in order to get pointed answers. If, if you don't, then it's very difficult for Pete and Vicky to, uh, you know, to come up with the answers that you're looking for. So thanks a lot, Pete. And, uh, We'll see you again on another Ask Oscar soon. All right. Happy to do it. Oh, my God. You should really, uh, you know what? We need to open this up. I, I need to start recording some of this stuff. No, you uh, don't. 
<laughs> we got uh, David Webb and uh, Dr. Chris sticking around here during the Ask Oxer uh, session. We talked about everything from, I don't know, surgeries to hospitals to... The banjos. Yeah, banjos uh, uh, and everything. We finished up talking coffee. David said that he absolutely does know what a percolator coffee pot is and it's like hallelujah because a lot of the young folk that I talk to these days have no idea <laughs> yeah. and if anybody out there works for Walmart please tell them to start carrying the Emeralds Big Easy Bowl K-Cups for the Keurig please <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Chris is a uh, Keurig addict. Yeah, well, you know what? I, we, I was just talking before we came back. I mean, I, I have a Keurig also, and I, I like the idea of being able to brew one cup of coffee at a time. Uh, you know, without having to waste a whole twelve pot, you know, twelve cup coffee pot thing full. But what annoys me, Keurig, if you're listening, is the fact that this new 2.0 version. You can't use your uh, your own uh, grind. Uh, you you have to buy their coffee or the you know the K cup, which is you know I think it's patented to, to Keurig, but yeah. So that that annoys the hell out of me. Um, there, oh, this is a, I don't own a Keurig, but I I bought a bunch of the little cups that you can refill. And uh, what I do is I, I punched a hole in a plastic lid and I put the I stick the thing so it sits down into my mug and then I just pour water until it, I use it like a tea bag. There, well, there's a, there's a workaround uh, for it, but it involves cutting the lid off of one of the newer K cups and taping it to the to the to the uh, top of the Keurig, you know, pot coffee making thing and. And it's like you know. Just drink meat instead. I, I, no, I have a percolator that that makes perfect coffee every time, and that's what I use. So I love percolated. Percolated coffee is the best way to make coffee. So. I had percolated coffee as a teenager once. It ate the freaking styrofoam cups because <laughs> so. the person who made it didn't know how much to put in, and it was just about to eat the spoon too. If Vicky's that's, listening, that's, that's, how, uh, that's how we like it in Texas. You can put a horseshoe in it. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yep. If Vicky's listening to this, she's probably you know what the hell are these guys talking about coffee? This is a mead show. If but you hey, go on a Keurig, you cannot make good mead. <laughs> Bite me. <laughs> so, you got to so, have a Keurig or you're missing out on life. There you go. So we just wrapped with the Ask Oscar, guys. He was talking about piments, and uh, piments is made with grape, uh, pretty much grape anything, grape juice, grapes. Uh, and I, you know, you can get the grape uh, concentrate from your local home brew shop too. I, I want to try that. Uh, but it's actually, not- one of the things I'm planning to try is I've got a batch in the basement that I haven't gotten around to doing, and uh, take half of it and make it up as wine, and take the other half and make it up as a as a, a piment, and see what the difference is in taste. Since you know you're working with the same batch. Well, you know, my doctor, uh, my cardiologist has all but instructed me, if not prescribed me, to drink at least one glass of red wine a day. You poor thing. And, well, and I, yeah, yeah, and I've taken that to heart. So I'm curious 
I'm wondering if, you know, if I make a mead, if I make a piment, uh, you know, using a red wine, a red grape, uh, a wine base, I wonder if I'm, you know, actually up one because of honey being so good for you. So something I'll have definitely we'll have say, to do. We'll, we'll just say yes and everybody will be happy. There you go. <laughs> bring, your, bring your doctor a bottle and you make some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I've done infusions in the past, and I make homemade Kahlua, and he's just absolutely in love with my Kahlua. <laughs> but, we need to uh, we need to wrap it up here tonight, guys. Uh, what an outstanding show. Certainly want to thank Troy and Jennifer Cost from Iowa, legendary Mead for joining us here earlier this evening. Absolutely going to keep track uh, on what yeah. they're doing. Definitely uh, want to hear about them once they're actually up and running. Yeah, and uh, you know when when uh, when Vicky gets back, uh, I'm sure that uh, you and I will hook up with her and uh, you know have our usual business meeting about the show, and uh, uh, would really like to keep tabs on uh, on Troy and Jennifer uh, and their meadery. Thanks to uh, Ask Oscar Pete uh, talking about the pimates, uh, you know, like we said. Uh, and if you have a question about your mead, uh, again, uh, go to the Ask Oscar link. Uh, just to hold your mouse over the gotme.com radio station link. And uh, I believe uh, you can get to the Ask Oscar form right from there so uh, make sure if you've got a question about your your recipe your process your method uh you know fill the form out completely and and get it turned in usually at this time of the show uh, aj we do like to throw out a couple of mentions i got one here tonight um cruising through the form as i sometimes do and we're talking gotme.com form there is no other form um <laughs> I, I came across this posting. Now, some of you aren't going to be able to see this because you haven't paid your $25 yearly dues yet to get to the patron side. Uh, this is uh, this comes off the patron side, I believe. Storm 1969, he starts this, this forum out, this board out. It's called Two Different Camps in Mead Making. And he's talking about, you know, people who have winemaking techniques and people who have beer brewing techniques. And uh, it all boiled down, this whole thing boiled down to one of the best quotes I've ever seen, AJ. And it's just hmm. simply this. When you know the rules, you're a tradesman. When you follow the rules, you are a craftsman. You, when you know when to break the rules, you are an artisan. And that makes total sense to me. <laughs> yep. As long as you're not actually, as long as you're not just thinking you're an artisan when you really aren't. There you go. <laughs> but hey, uh, don't forget the Mazer Cup coming up in March. Uh, that's going to be March 18th and 19th in Broomfield, Colorado. Simply go to mazercup.com, get up to speed on it, and get ready to get your submissions in. Uh, our next guest next week, uh, AJ, is Chris Weber from Dragon's Lair Mead. And, of course, uh, this— Oh, he's uh, on the forum, isn't he? 
Yeah. I, okay, that's why he sounded familiar. Yeah, and he's, uh, I mean, these are all upcoming new meteries that uh, Vicky's got lined up for us. want to thank David Webb and uh, Dr. Chris for joining us here late in the show. AJ, we'll see you next week. Yep, and hopefully Vicky will be back with us. You bet. Good night, guys. Night, everybody.